it has been very hot in the cockpit at times. The celebrations, though, will very much be welcomed by Max Verstappen and Red Bull as Verstappen wins the Spanish Grand Prix. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Formula One on One podcast. The 2022 Pirelli Spanish Grand Prix has just concluded, and it ended with the most optimal outcome, a Red Bull 1-2. As always, please rate us five stars on whatever listening device or listening platform you're using, and follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at F1ON1Pod. Those are the numbers one. So, without further ado, Sashwat, take it away. Man, what a what a race today. I think there was a lot going on. You know, we saw Charles Leclerc pull away pretty decisively, I think, towards the beginning part of the race. And then, unfortunately, on lap 27, you know, Charles Leclerc and his bad luck seem to have not been left in 2021 and has started to come back, creep back in 2022. DNF due to engine power failure. We saw this at Silverstone last year. We've seen this at Monaco before. You know, I really hope this is not a trend and maybe just a one-off thing for him because, man, the the fact that he is now down in the drivers' championship after leading for the first five races is a uh, is not worrying yet. I don't think, but you know, any champion wants to you know consistently be at the top. Yeah, and I mean, it's especially disheartening when you're going into Monaco next week and you have all this stigma, or at least like if I'm Charles Leclerc, I finish this race, I see that I'm going into Monaco next week, and like. That really puts me off because, as we know, Charles Leclerc has never finished a race at Monaco, so he has to at least keep that in the back of his mind, especially having crashed Nicky Lauda's Ferrari there, like, literally last week. So, for Charles, this race was kind of a nightmare. I mean, he was ahead by, like, nearly 20, 25 seconds, and it really seemed like the race was his, for sure, and it was just a matter of who else was going to be on the podium, and then we cut to his car, see that he's losing power, he has to box, and he's out of the race. So I don't really know what he could have done. It obviously wasn't his fault, but it's got to be tough for him going into a race that he historically has not been very good at. Yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully there's the other side of that Nicky Lauda Ferrari crash where, you know, maybe he's gotten his bad luck from Monaco out of the way. Maybe this is the year that Ferrari and Charles Leclerc, their luck does swing the right way. And, you know, Charles can at least finish a Monaco race for the first time in his professional racing career. I don't believe between F1 and F2 he's ever finished a race there. But, you know, I think we can just kind of jump into the weekend structure, Justin. But even before we do that, maybe just a quick update on our driver standings and our constructor standings. Yeah, so as I predicted in the Formation Lap episode, there was going to be a flip in both the WDC and the WCC. So... Right now, we'll go top 10 in Drivers Champion. So P10, we have Kevin Magnussen with 15 points. P9, Esteban Ocon with 30 points. P8 is Valtteri Bottas with 38 points. P7 is Lando Norris with 39. P6 is Lewis Hamilton with 46. P5 is Carlos Sainz with 65. After his podium today, George Russell sits in P4 at 74. Checo's in P3 with 85. Leclerc is in P2 with 104, and Max is now leading the World Drivers' Championship in P1 with 110 points. Yeah, so looking at our constructors, like Justin said, we did have a flip between Red Bull and Ferrari today, going from 10 to 1. Williams at the bottom with 3 points, Aston Martin in P9 with 6 points, Haas in P8 with 15 points, AlphaTauri in P7 with 17 points, Alpine in P6 with 34 points, Alfa Romeo just ahead in P5 by 5 points with 39 points, McLaren a little bit further ahead in P4 with 
uh, with 50 points. Mercedes, the gap starts to build here in P3 with 120 points over McLaren. Ferrari in P2 with 169 points. And Red Bull now leading the World Constructors Championship with 195 points. Yeah, so I mean, that gives Ferrari a full race win behind, plus fastest lap behind uh, Red Bull. Because, what, 195 minus 169 is 26 points. So that is a very substantial amount. And obviously, Mercedes caught up a little bit closer to Ferrari than they were this past weekend. Um, only 49 points behind, which is much closer than we thought it was going to be at the beginning of the season. Now, obviously, Ferrari probably still have the much better car. And especially with Charles's DNF, it's going to help them out a lot. But hey, points are points, and um, ground gained is ground gained. So Mercedes are definitely in the rearview mirror of Ferrari at this point, and Ferrari has to be worried about Mercedes catching up and catching back up to Red Bull. So next weekend in Monaco, I feel like, is going to be absolutely huge for them. Yeah, I especially we know at Monaco, a place where it is probably, I, w- I would say, the hardest take tar- tra- or sorry, excuse me, track to overtake, right? Yeah, it, it's all about qualifying at that point. I yeah. mean, if you're not qualifying front row, you're probably not going to finish p1 or p2 yeah and we know that there have been multiple instances we saw it especially today where certain cars are better suited for the race as compared to qualifying we know that is the case with mercedes we saw that yesterday with lewis hamilton who managed yes to get up into p5 would have been a p4 if not for some you know engine issues or fuel issues it wasn't really clear on the broadcast but you know we see that there are there are differences in cars but like justin said mercedes big improvements and those upgrades really really seem to help out the way George Russell was able to defend from Max for a, month, for a stretch of what seemed like five or six laps, right? Like, yeah, and some of them were really good. I mean, going into turn one, that one lap when they get just kind of kept flip flopping throughout the entirety of sector one, it was it was pretty cool to see. Yeah, I think that this is a good you know step forward for Mercedes. Definitely, Ferrari. I don't know if I would say it's time to freak out or hit the panic button yet. I feel like maybe I don't a, think so. Yeah, I think a DNF is maybe just a little unlucky on Charles Leclerc's part. Carlos Sainz maybe, you know, leaving a little bit to be desired considering he started, what, P3? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he ended up in P4, yes, but it would have been P5 if not for Hamilton's issues. And, you know, a Leclerc DNF also gave him a little bit of help. I think I that— I mean, the fact that he, he slid out during the yeah. race into the gravel was pretty brutal. He dropped, like, what, six or seven Six or places? seven places, yeah. And we knew that the tire issues or the tire degradation and tire overheating was always going to be a problem. Um, you know, it's a little, it's a little questionable, but, um, we'll see. I mean, I hope Carlos can bounce back. You know, he did have a podium last weekend in Miami, but we're hoping for a little more for him, especially when it comes to the constructors championship, because we saw what Sergio Perez was doing today, Justin, there were points where, you know, unfortunately he was team ordered around because Red Bull are obviously going to prioritize max, but Checo was definitely showing some very, very strong pace in that Red Bull. And I think Carlos has a bit of catching up to do. Yeah, I think Checo is really going to be the X factor in this constructors battle. I mean, I've said it before that it's going to be Checo and Carlos who it really like comes down to in order to get that final push for the constructors championship. But what a solid drive from him today. And like you said, it was unfortunate that he got team ordered, but I'm pretty sure with the pitch strategy Max was on, he was going to get passed by Max eventually anyway. But the fact that he was able to still finish the race in P2 is just absolutely massive for the team. I know Red Bull has struggled over the past few years with their number one drivers not really being able to keep up with Max or put the car in the same place that he is. And, you know, Max is probably the best driver on the grid, in my opinion, right now. So it's going to be hard to live up to his standards. But having Checo there actually able to get up into the points that is going to help Red Bull actually win the WCC rather than just lag behind Ferrari the whole season 
it's really good for him, and I think it's going to be really beneficial at the end of the season when he's looking for a new contract. Yeah, I think that this is, you know, a lot of strong showings from a lot of teams this weekend, um, but also some, like, very questionable showings. Justin, I know we'll talk about this a little later, but just to touch on it, Aston Martin, I know there were a lot of there were a lot of jokes this weekend about how they are now just they've went from pink Mercedes when they were re- racing point to now green Red Bull or green Bull um, copying things. I know, Justin, you are a big proponent of, well, if you don't get caught or there's nothing wrong with it, who cares how much you copy from other teams? Um, I think it's a little hilarious that, you know, they have all this experience. They clearly have a very well-funded team, and they are still struggling. I mean, what, Vettel and Stroll both out of points yet again, and it's just not looking great for them as a team after they made some pretty decent, you know, improvements at other races. Yeah, and before this weekend, like, my whole thing was, oh, well, they're using a Mercedes engine, like, and the Mercedes engine has not been that good this year, but clearly the Mercedes team itself has figured it out, so all the other Mercedes-powered cars obviously have the capability to be competing for points if their car is designed well enough. And uh, the fact that they copied Red Bull, like, pretty clearly, again, I don't really have an issue with it. Like, I feel like that's kind of the pinnacle of engineering. Like, don't need to reinvent the wheel. You can take what's already been proven and then just kind of build upon it. But if you're going to do it, you better do it correctly because, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing when you come out with a car that looks exactly like your competitors and then you go, like, way, way slower. What What do you to change at that point? Yeah, I think it's Aston Martin, you know, there's a lot of redrawing at the, you know, um, you know, the draw the chalkboard, so to speak, because, you know, you have copied Aston Martin's or excuse me, Red Bull's, you know, exterior design, but it seems like there's something that they haven't unlocked. I mean, I know we have memes. Yeah, straight line speed. Yeah, yeah, literally. Um, you know, we saw Vettel, you know, who did he get passed by? Um, Lando, I think it was. So clearly like the other and that was obviously with DRS sure, but there are clearly other Mercedes cars that are performing just fine. Um, I guess someone else we can touch on, Justin, who kind of went under the radar today because he had a lonely race. Valtteri Bottas, I think, you know, there were points where there was serious discussion of him getting a podium, you know, that P3 spot. He ended up in what? I think, I believe P6. P6 yeah, just behind Sainz and Hamilton. Um, you know, I think a great drive from him. Clearly, he is pulling something out of that... Um, that Alfa Romeo that is, you know, I don't know if it's just the Ferrari engine. I mean, Bottas is obviously a very, very capable driver. And, you know, maybe Zhou Guanyu is, you know, he was unlucky to DNF today. But I think there is a little bit of a, of a gap between them. Obviously, you know, Guanyu Zhou being a rookie. But also Bottas, I think, has to be given a lot of credit for the way he has been, you know, dragging this Alfa Romeo team up for the first six races. And the narrative in the past has always been like, oh, well, Bottas is just the shadow of Lewis. Like, he's not as good of a driver and I feel like this is really good for Baltes' career and kind of namesake overall because he's really proving that in a car that's probably not as capable um, as the cars that he's racing against in front. Like, he's slotting it up right there with them, and he's racing with them. And sure, he kind of got eaten up uh, in the end by DRS, but still, a P6 from an Alfa Romeo when every car ahead of you is a Mercedes, a Ferrari, or a Red Bull, I mean... As a midfield team, that is pretty much exactly what you want and exactly what you're going for. So good for him, and honestly, like he's have the, he's had one of the best seasons I think of like any driver so far in terms of like how well he has performed in comparison to his car. Yeah, I think that you know Bottas is turning out to be this season's 2021 or maybe 2020 Pierre Gasly, definitely outperforming his car and showing why he is capable or why Mercedes had him on file for, you know, five years and why they were able to win five straight constructor championships and how good of a driver he can be. I think there's also a little more freedom in being that driver number one in more of that experienced role. 
I think Botas, you know, on pace for a great season, P6 today, and I think he is, where did we say he was in the Drivers' Championship? Um, I think he's, oh, he's P8, and I think that's, you know, for Alfa Romeo. And only one point behind Lando Norris. Yeah, so I think that, you know, Botas, obviously a great first six races. Hopefully he keeps his form up. I think he will. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty good from him. Who else can we discuss, Justin? I think, um, Daniel Ricciardo not scoring points yet again. I mean, how much longer is McLaren willing to take this experiment? Because, I mean, it's not even an experiment because they signed him to a long-term contract. Yeah. So they're kind of stuck with him right now and he's not scoring any points. And again, this car is not good. Like we, we see this car and it is a midfield car. It is nowhere near as fast as it was last year in terms of like pace compared to the front runners. But like... You're still in a McLaren, and Lando's at least scraping some points in P7, P8, and he's in the he's P7 in the drivers' championship with nearly four times as many points as Ricardo. I mean, it's 39 to 11 right now. That is pretty ridiculous for a midfield car. Like you should not have that many points over your teammate. But I mean, here we are again talking about Daniel Ricardo's woes. So. Like what? What? What should McLaren even do at this point with him? Yeah, I mean, I've, I, you know, obviously, I hope that you know, maybe for the, for, I guess, for the culture, for the, for the discussion's <laughs> sake, for us, you know, maybe he wins a race or gets a podium, gives us something like positive to talk I don't about. Think the McLaren is it capable yeah, of that though. I, I mean, we saw Lando what podium in Imola, but that was also a result of like a lot Luck. of other things happening. Um, but. You know, Daniel Ricciardo, like, we saw this all of last year, Justin, where they, they gave him two Drive to Survive episodes about this, and, like... It's because he's, like, the number one draw of Drive to Survive. He's yeah. a big personality. Yeah, and I mean, like, I wish his driving talent was more, like, matched up to the amount of media coverage he gets, because, like, it feels as though he's just struggling again, and I understand the cars are new, and they're different, they haven't been the same, they haven't, like, changed since 2014, so it's the first time in eight years that... Things are really, like, variably different. But still, like, you are a F1 driver with over a decade of experience. Like, you have to show it at some point, right? Like, where is any of the skill? Where is, like, Monaco GP winner Daniel Ricciardo? Where is China Grand Prix, Grand Prix winner Daniel Ricciardo, right? Like, these those performances, maybe he's, or I don't think maybe, he's definitely past his prime. I think we agree on that. But when you're McLaren and you're asking for to be, well, what is effectively the fourth best team this year, I think they're pretty, like, solidly the fourth best team. I don't think, like, Alpine or Haas or Alfa Romeo are really going to touch them I doubt in terms it. of that. It, it would have to be, like, I mean, Alfa Romeo are only 11 points behind right now. And you never know with Baltas, like, destroying it and Ricardo not being good that, like, yeah. they could pass. But then again, it'll come down to, like, Zhou Guan Yu and, like, Lando Norris in terms of who's who else is putting up points for the team. Yeah, I mean, but again, just circling back to McLaren, I know last week, I think it was Miami formation left, we discussed this potential Pierre Gasly for Daniel Ricciardo trade, and not to, like, be, like, biased I mean, Pierre hasn't even been that yeah, good this season. Pierre hasn't been great that season either. They have, do they have the same amount of points? No, Ricciardo has more points, but Gasly has had a pretty bad start to the season. I, I will be the last person to attempt to cover that up, but I think there's just a lot left to be desired in that second McLaren. You know, we see Lando, he got P8 today, Daniel was down in P13. I don't think there's, like, a huge reason why that should be a thing, especially when, like, if we look at the cars that were between Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo, Fernando Alonso driving in an Alpine, who came from P20, by the way, and we'll talk about that a little later, Yuki Tsunoda in an AlphaTauri, Sebastian Vettel in uh, in an Aston Martin, and then, excuse me, Daniel Ricciardo was P12. So it was those three cars in between them. 
I feel like for what McLaren has given Lando Norris with the experience of Daniel Ricciardo, like, should Sebastian Vettel in what is very, like, fairly a bad car be ahead of him? Like, even Yuki Tsunoda, who is by all means a very, like, volatile and still inexperienced driver, should he be ahead of Daniel Ricciardo in this McLaren? I don't know. I think it just brings up, like, these recurring questions that are always brought up. They came up last year, they're coming up this year, and I just hope that there's not this positive result for McLaren at the end of the season where we kind of just wipe it all under the table, um, you know, and just say, like, oh, Daniel Ricciardo, he's still capable of winning races, that kind of thing. And the whole thing you're talking about is, like, he's experienced well over a decade. So at what point do you draw the line where it's like, oh, I would rather have a young driver who's going to improve in the future in that second McLaren than someone who is probably driving their car to the best of their ability and will not get much better. Because like like you said, he sh- he's like a veteran in F1. He should already know how to handle these cars and like actually put them into the points, but he's not doing that. So like you have to start considering other options at this point. I mean, long-term contract, you pretty much have to keep him there unless someone else is willing to buy him out. Um, yeah. But at, if I'm a McLaren fan right now, like that really sucks because he's just not he like he did so bad at the end of last season and he's doing awful at the start of this season. And yeah. I, I'm tired of lose not even losing. I'm tired of getting into Twitter arguments with people about Daniel Ricciardo <laughs> who's who are like, oh, no, no, you you have no idea. Just watch and wait. Like how many more weeks? How many more weeks do I need to wait before he like scores points again? Yeah. Is he going to score points in Monaco? No. What is this, like 2018, 2017, 2019? Yeah. I mean, another interesting thing that comes up when we discuss this Daniel Ricciardo or the the situation that McLaren find themselves in is that at the beginning of the season when Daniel Ricciardo tested positive for COVID-19, we saw that Alpine and McLaren signed this kind of loan option deal weird thing where Oscar Piastri, his like first right or like his first other seat that's not Alpine will end up being McLaren. Like, McLaren can ask for Oscar Piastri to drive that for them at any point throughout the season if one of their drivers is unable. I don't know if that still holds if they, like, fire Daniel Ricciardo or, like, let him I go. I mean, they're responsible for the contract regardless. Yeah. I mean, if McLaren, who have very fairly, like, also gone through some, like, financial hardship as a result of the pandemic and the resulting economic impact, but if they're willing to chew up Daniel Ricciardo's contract, I feel like Oscar Piastri is a very, very interesting, you know, potential candidate to replace him there, especially if you can't make that Pierre Gasly swap deal happen, just with Red Bull and, you know, their contract intricacies, I'm sure, exist. Um, but I think there are a lot of options that Red Bull, or I mean, excuse me, McLaren start need to start considering, because six races, yeah, we have, what, 16 more races left, but you know, how many more can you really go with Lando Norris being in the bottom half of the points consistently and Daniel Ricciardo being nowhere near that? I mean, like you were saying earlier, they're pretty solidly in fourth place. They're definitely not going to pass Mercedes with all these upgrades Mercedes is bringing and how fast they've been looking recently. And again, unless Alfa Romeo really like steps it up, they're probably not going to pass them. So at least they're like comfortably in a spot right now. Um, if they were in, like, a real tight battle for, like, a constructor place, that's when I would kind of, like, start considering other options maybe. But, hey, there's a reason we're behind a microphone in a basement and not making the decisions on a pit wall. That is true, yeah. Um, but I think, is there anyone else we can really, you know, dig into? I know we'll talk about Mick Schumacher in a little bit and his ongoing lack of performance. Yeah, I mean, on the topic of Haas, I feel bad for Kevin Magnussen. I mean, both Haases ended up making it into Q3 on Saturday, and neither of them scored points. We saw Kevin Magnussen have kind of like 
a touch with Lewis Hamilton at the beginning. Kind of threw off both both of their races. Um, Lewis was obviously able to recover. He ended up winning driver of the day, actually, from like the official F1 yeah. account. And Kevin Magnussen finished out of the points. So, very unfortunate for the Haas team this weekend. I really thought that they were going to scrape some points by, especially since they had both cars in Q3 and Kevin Magnussen was starting from 8th. But uh, it's a bit disappointing to see him that far down when it's not really his fault. Yeah, I mean, given the performances, he has all of Haas's points this season. I think that he deserves a little better. You know, he obviously put his car in P8. I think he could have easily made some, you know, positive moves, you know, after the Leclerc DNF and the shakeups that happened throughout the pit phase. But, you know, I think there's there's a lot of room for growth for Haas. I mean, Justin, they were the only team to not bring upgrades this weekend. Yeah, they're so, not bringing until what, like Paul Ricard? Paul Ricard, which is the end of July, which is actually two months away almost, I think, to the day um, as we're recording this. But... The fact that, you know, Haas seemed so strong, they were able to get both cars into Q3, like you said, I think it's a great sign. You know, hopefully Mick Schumacher improves, man. We're still looking for those first points. But, you know, I think that's kind of like the main overview on the teams and how their Spanish GPs kind of played out. I mean, again, Alpine is kind of like the one team we didn't touch on too much. We always we always don't give enough respect to Alpine. I mean, this is the second week in a row they've come from the back of the grid. To points. To points. Yeah, and I mean, you know, they're just, like, always going to be there. I think they're, you know, they're sixth in the driver's title, or constructor standings right now, just five points behind Alfa Romeo. You know, Ocon, we know what he's capable of. Obviously, a race winner himself, Fernando Alonso, two-time WDC. Like, there is experience, there is capability, there is talent. I think that Alpine will be a very, very interesting team to see. Fernando Alonso, interestingly, has already started taking engine penalties, Justin. I don't know how you feel about that, you know, kind of going later into the season. It's very early in the season to be taking an engine penalty. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I don't know what the case with Alcon is, but I know Fernando Alonso, the reason he started from the back today was because of his engine penalties. I hope that doesn't really become a, a damper on what has so far been, I would say, a pretty good start. I think Alpine. so. You know, they've been very consistent. You know, we saw them racing each other in Saudi Arabia. Like, they've given us some cool things to talk about, and... Overall, I feel like they're just kind of there. Like, the, maybe the reason we don't talk about them is because they're so, like, invariable. They're just always doing the same thing. Exactly. And it's so consistent. And, and then they works. don't get any, like, coverage on the broadcast because of it. So then there's not really much to talk about because unless we go on F1 TV and specifically watch their driver cam, we don't get too much info about them. But, I mean, like, I wouldn't really call it, like, I, I'd say right now Alpine is pretty successful. I mean, being in P6 is pretty good compared to where I think a lot of people expected them to be. I think a lot of people expected mm-hmm. them to be closer to the bottom of the mi- midfield, like maybe P7. So P6 is definitely solid, and only five points behind Alfa Romeo has has got to be feeling good at least this far into the season. Yeah, and then I guess the last two we can kind of discuss Williams, Justin. I don't know if there was anything to talk about. I mean, they were in the back the whole race. There was, there was a, I mean, yeah, there was, there was I, a I Latifi predi- overtake. There was <laughs> sure. I mean, I predicted during the formation lap that. Latifi would score points and Albon would be right behind, but it ended up not doing anything even remotely close to that. I mean, they were both in the back the whole race. Didn't really have much going for them. It's a Williams kind of, what are you expecting at that point? But yeah. really unfortunate for my predictions, I guess. Yeah, I was maybe expecting a little more from Alex Albon, but I think that's also just me being like prisoner of the moment, caught up by yeah, what he did yeah. in Australia and then in Miami. You know, these long drives, these absurd points finishes that the Williams has no place being, to be honest. Um, but, you know... Alpine, I think that's a good transition, Justin, into our driver of the day. Has to be Fernando Alonso, right? Yeah, I mean, we we disrespected Esteban Ocon last yeah. time, going from like P20 to P10 or P8 or wherever he ended up in Miami. And 
we said in the formation lap episode that we kind of felt bad for disrespecting him like that. I mean, what an insane drive that is. A lot of people don't really realize like how intense that is. And especially on a, a race like this where there's lots of strategies and different, like, I don't know, like pit stop methods mm-hmm. that they're going through. It's very nice to see that Fernando Alonso was able to weave his way through the back of the field all the way up into points. So in my mind, he's absolutely driver of the day. And then like we mentioned earlier, Lewis Hamilton had an amazing drive. I mean, after that lap one shenanigan, he was able to put it back up into P4 for a while before, obviously, uh, if you watch the race, you'll know that Lewis Hamilton kind of had to lift and coast his car for a little bit. I think they were worried about having enough fuel left. So he ended up having to give his position back to Carlos at the very end. So he ended up going from P4 to P5. But still, after what happened on the first lap, it is very, very impressive that he got to where he was. Yeah, I I think that that's, you know, I can't really, I don't know if there's much I can add to that. I mean, Fernando Alonso, obviously the experience. And I think it's a great thing that he was able to do that in front of his home crowd in Spain. I think it gave them a lot to cheer about, especially, you know, maybe Carlos Sainz, you know, selling his position a little bit. But, you know, I think great drive from Fernando Alonso, great drive from Lewis Hamilton. Um, and maybe this is just a, this is us extending an olive branch to Esteban Ocon for not mentioning him during the Miami checkered flag. Um, going in to pick up the pace, Justin, I mean, I know we've said this before, but Mick Schumacher, when is it going to come together for him? I don't know. It's really tough, especially when you're looking at who scored points, because it's not like, oh, Kevin Magnuson has like a fluke point or whatever. Like Albon only has three points. So like, I'm not really that down. Like, I mean, Latifi is not a good driver by any means, but like when your teammate only has three points, it's because the car is not really good. But Kevin Magnuson has 15 points at this point of the season. So, you know, he's averaging around like two point something points per race. You would have expected Mick to at least put his car somewhere in the top 10 at one race this season and he got in the q3 i mean he spain isn't the best track to pass on he should have been able to at least like maintain that for the race but he ended up finishing like p14 so i don't know if it's that the haas is much better in qualifying than it is with race pace but it is definitely disconcerting to see that this is now the sixth race that we know the haas is capable of scoring points and it hasn't scored points um just out of curiosity, do you know when where Kevin Magnuson ended up finishing? Kevin Magnuson ended up in P seventeen, two laps down. Um, I it's because of the lap one thing. Yeah, we can't really I, trash him for that. I don't think this like Kevin Magnuson result. Like it's unfortunate that he was unable to convert what was a P eight qualifying into points of any kind. That, yeah, and that's what I was gonna say because like we, uh, if Kevin Magnuson didn't have it at the beginning, do you think he could have potentially put the car into points? And obviously, like it's all prediction at this point like in guesswork whether he would have but I think if he did stay in P8 I I think there was a strong chance that with the right strategy the Haas could have scored points today oh yeah I mean obviously like now I guess this is just kind of like what about is um or yeah hoping, like, like thinking straight hypothetical but also like you know you take into account the Charles Leclerc engine failure that bumps up everyone in the points like it bumps everyone up one position and like you know, Kevin Magnussen has shown that he is a very consistent driver. He knows how to you know score points, and he knows how to clearly extract something out of that Haas, even if it's like a bottom of the midfield team, right? And I feel that you know this this race result is not reflective of you know like anything really when it comes to Haas. I mean, maybe Mick Schumacher. I mean, you know, your P10, you end up in P14. I feel like maybe a little bit needs to be done for him. But from a Kevin Magnussen perspective, I don't think like this race can allow us to draw any kind of conclusions. I mean. He just had collision. He had a contact with Hamilton. He went into the gravel. He, I think Hamilton also had a puncture. I think, you know, Magnuson obviously had to 
what he Magnuson had damage or something as well, I believe. So probably like I just think that this is a weekend that Kevin Magnuson will move on from. I mean, he was good in quality, he was good in practice. I don't I don't know how much more you could have asked for besides you know not getting into contact with Lewis Hamilton. And both cars being pretty good in quality kind of gets me hyped for next weekend in Monaco because as we know, Monaco, like all the action is on Saturday. The race is kind of just a train of cars. I mean, Mm -hmm. we've talked about that since the beginning of the season because it's, you know, that's just how Monaco works. So if Mick can place P10 or higher, you know, if he gets in the Q3, then in Monaco, then there's no reason he should should not score points there. So I guess that'll be the biggest test to like make a real determination on Mick because I still think six races into this season is kind of early and maybe Kevin Magnuson has just been like putting in killer drives but I do think that like he probably should have had some sort of points finished by this point yeah I mean we're just over 25% through the season at this point which is kind of crazy to say considering yeah that is it doesn't feel like it yeah I mean like the season ends six months from now in in November November 20th 2022 but, you know, the fact that, like, you know, this is a thing that we're talking about, I mean, I, I think, Justin, if we have to predict, like, we have 16 more races, right? Mick Schumacher has to score points. I right? think so. Right? I like, think he's going to score at least 20 points this season. 20 still. points? Okay. I mean, I don't, like, I don't want to write him off. I feel like that's a little, it's way too early for that right now. Um, but I, I feel like, I don't know, Mick, you got into Q3, you had your opportunity, and you kind of bottled it. Like, we saw this last weekend, in, or two weekends ago in Miami, right? Like, he had a good pos- he had good position, and then, you know, I-, I don't know if it was inexperience, or maybe he was getting desperate for points, because to- it was at the end of the race, but then he just crashes into Sebastian Vettel, and it ruins both of their races, right? Like, I don't know if this is something that needs to be learned over time. You know, obviously, Mick Schumacher's dad is one of the greatest, or if not the greatest, Formula 1 drivers of all time, but... Everyone needs experience. Everyone needs that practice. And honestly, in F1, it's... I mean, this is maybe holding for every sport, but, like, there's no better practice than actually, like, competitively playing or, in this case, competitively driving, right? So I think maybe Mick needs a little more practice under his... um, practice under his belt but it's getting a little it's getting a little worrying now you know you've had 21 races last year to even though that car was bad, no that like, car was so bad that you can't hold any of that against him yeah but you know also we did like kind of hype him up a little bit but then again his partner was mazepin so i don't know how much of that can really be you know validated but at the same time like i want mick schumacher to succeed i th- i don't know that he's ever going to be like in that ferrari seat I, I don't think that's like a thing for him anymore at least not for the foreseeable future just on his driving talent alone but you know, I, I hope that Mick Schumacher kind of pulls it together because, you know, Kevin Magnussen clearly ahead of him and, you know, that gap needs to be reduced if you're if you're Gunter Steiner and you're Haas. For sure. I, I don't think I need to dunk on Mick Schumacher any more than I already have. So we yeah. can move on to Brad of the Week. So, Sash, who... What was your little funny moment? I, I mean, we agreed on what this was already. Yeah, I, I had, I mean, I think the main one is definitely Aston Martin copying Red Bull and then not being nearly as good. But then also the Red Bull like counter troll or troll back where they had on free practice one, I think it was on Friday, they were all drinking like the green can variety of Red Bull. Um, reportedly, this is not a good flavor. I don't drink Red Bull, Justin. I don't know what your thoughts on that flavor are. <laughs> I mean, I don't really drink too much Red Bull because... Personally, I'm more of a fan of the racing team than the energy drink, but I have had um, my fair share of cans, and I, I will be the first to say that I don't think it's one of the better flavors, which which means it's an even better troll job because they're willing to sacrifice the quality of their drink in order to make fun of the Aston Martins 
who did not score any points this weekend. So kind of embarrassing when you copy a car and still can't score anything. Yeah, and both Aston Martins, I believe, were out in Q1. So yep. a little more, you know, insult to injury there. Um, but then another, like, small brat of the week, I feel like was just a little funny, but not too much, was Mercedes and their, like, Red Bull-esque final lap bottling with Hamilton. Now, I think this was fuel, but then it, Crofty was also discussing something about, you know, cooling issue maybe in the engine, and we know how hard Lewis Hamilton had to push all race, you know, to move back from the back of the field all the way up to, you know, P6, or P5, where he ended up finishing, or P4, but... Um, you know, hopefully this does not become any sort of trend for Mercedes where they end up, you know, not having good ends to races because we've seen what that can do to a team. And now that we're getting into the, you know, middle stretch of the season where, you know, you really have to start locking it down and solidifying your position or making gains, um, you know, Mercedes are going to need all the improvement and all the reliability they can get. Yes. Uh, speaking of reliability, this is, I think, the first time that the Ferrari's like power unit failed. Um, this whole season for at least for like the Ferrari team themselves because the yes, other yes, DNFs yes. by Carlos were him just like spinning out or messing up so yeah this is the first time that they kind of cut to him and you know you could hear the engine like really dying it's not getting any power at all his car slowing down he has to go into the pits I mean absolutely heartbreaking for him because like we mentioned earlier he was like 25 seconds clear of Checo um, yeah when his car broke down so it's kind of brutal to see something like that happen I mean I just think back to Max and Baku when that, when you see something like this, just like a nice sizable lead, just absolutely taken away and turned to zero points. But as a Red Bull fan, it's not the worst thing in the world for me. I mean, I would even say that it was very, (laughs) very good. But obviously, if you're a Ferrari fan, this has been an extremely, extremely disappointing weekend. And if you're Carlos Sainz, like kind of disappointing weekend for you when you start in P3 and in P4 and you're only in P4 because Lewis Hamilton didn't have enough fuel in his car so kind of a disappointing week for the Spaniard in that in that case which I guess then means like in your in the formation lap you're like Carlos Sainz will have the worst weekend of any Spanish-speaking driver and you just gave driver of the day to Fernando Alonso for going from P20 to P9 and then Checo ended up finishing P2 so I mean I guess in a sense Carlos had like a subjectively worse weekend than both of them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, when you look at race... I mean, like, this is not to say Carlos is a bad driver. I think he's just had a string of bad form. You know, I I, I hope he improves because Ferrari are going to need all his help, especially to, you know, contend for, you know, WCC. And right now, I do not think it is close. Checo is absolutely body-slamming him when it comes to being the second driver and that consistent point scorer behind the leader in Max or Charles, right? And you know, as we get into these stronger circuits that, you know, might favor one team over another, Ferrari are really going to need to pull it together and um, ensure that both drivers are getting the maximum out of their car and as a result, getting the maximum points and, you know, kind of stopping this bleeding that Red Bull have now started. Because, Justin, this is now what, Max's third win in a row, I believe? Um, yeah, third yeah, win in a row. Third in a row. So. Um, yeah, third in a row and four in the last five. So, well, we've only had six races, so that doesn't say much. But the fact that Max Verstappen is now three races, three race wins on the trot is a little concerning if you're Ferrari. I mean, obviously very uplifting if you are a Red Bull fan or if your name is Christian Horner out there. But, um, you know, Ferrari, I think a lot to learn from. And they're definitely not... I, I don't think it's panic button time for them, right? No, no. I mean, it's one bad race. Yeah, like, yeah. There's, there's definitely no reason to worry yet. I mean, we saw, like, the reliability issues are not solely on the Ferrari. I mean, Red Bull has been made fun of for mm-hmm. all year. And speaking yeah. of, I mean, 
Max Verstappen's DRS did not work for the majority of the race. I know we were watching it together and you joked that it would only open on odd numbered laps, but like it honestly felt like that was the case, like between laps 18 and 30 when Max was really close to George Russell and he just couldn't get past him because he would lose, well, he wouldn't lose time on the straights, but he wasn't gaining as much as he could with the DRS. And, you know, we had that one funny radio where um, Max was like, oh man, I've been pressing the DRS button like 50 times and it won't open. And it definitely sucked to see because he probably could have gotten past George way, way earlier had he had that multiple laps in a row. Like we saw him drop back to like 0.8, 0.9 behind. And -hmm. then with DRS, he'd be at like 0.3. And then by the time he got to the DRS again, it wouldn't open the flap. And so it was like, what is he supposed to do when he doesn't have like the same advantage that everyone else has? But luckily then Charles dropped out of the race and he kind of put on a very good drive. I feel like we honestly haven't talked about Verstappen enough and we have the weekend podium coming up. So we're going to discuss him a little bit there. But I mean, aside from the unlucky DRS stuff, I think he had probably one of the best drives of the weekend. I mean, especially like, especially considering the fact that he didn't have DRS, it makes it so much more impressive what he was able to do. Well, yeah. I mean, another thing was Justin, we saw at turn four, he spun off the track. Yeah. I mean, he, to be fair, he did rejoin the track way, way quicker than Carlos was able to. But after I saw that, like two laps after Carlos did it, I was like, Oh my God, we're going to end up seeing this all race. And then it turns out it did not happen again after that. So I guess exact same spot, exact same manner. Like they both locked up going into that right hander. They both slid because the rears were overheating. Like, it was very clear what was going on, and then, you know, Max, to come back from that, because obviously, like, you know, once you shunt off into the gravel, you're kind of just like, oh my god, I have to drive a little more conservatively, like, I don't want to do this again, blah, 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 but, you know, great job from Max, I mean, like, again, three race wins in a row is not a very, like, easy thing, winning a race in Formula 1 is not a very easy thing at all, and the fact that, you know, Max is now, what, he has more wins than some drivers, like, you know, Kimi Raikkonen, he has more wins than Nelson Piquet Sr., they brought up on the broadcast, you know, these are very, very, you know, classically, historically strong drivers, and, you know, I guess fan favorites, you know, you know, one might say, but, you know, the fact that Max is now starting to solidify himself in that, you know, elite kind of level of historical talent, I think, Justin, is now, uh, is now becoming, it's very fun to see this, like, history, like, being made in front of our eyes because you know obviously we didn't watch f1 in like 2008 when lewis hamilton won his first wdc we didn't really watch in 2010 11 12 13 when sebastian vettel was winning races and winning championships but now seeing like verstappen win this like dominantly and like the way he's able to out talent and outwork and out drive people is like it's like as much as i hate him i have to respect it right like this is my tom brady issue where like I'm not a Tom Brady fan or a Patriots fan at all, but, like, I just, like, I cannot, like, at some point you have to, like, and I I joked about this a couple times when we were watching the race, but, like, there are levels to greatness, but, like, you have to understand that, like, what he's doing is stuff that has never been done before or, like, has only been done by a very, very... By Lewis Hamilton. By Lewis Hamilton or Michael Schumacher or Sebastian Vettel. Like, these are very small groups of people that he is, like, finding himself in company with. Like, this is when someone in the NBA, like, breaks a Wilt Chamberlain record or, like, the last time someone did something was Wilt Chamberlain doing it in the 60s when he was playing against plumbers. And it just makes it, like... When you think about that in context, it makes it seem what he's doing so, so impressive. And, like, I know we can joke about, like, oh, but, like, his car is carrying him, blah, blah, blah. No, like, at the end of the day, like, someone has to drive that car. And, you know, I will, I will, you know, as much as I dislike Max Verstappen and I'm not a fan of him, I think a lot of credit to him and, you know, great season so far from him, you know, to come back after two DNFs in the first three races, right? Like, 
you know, it takes a lot to come back from that. God forbid we go a single episode without an NBA reference. I think the world might explode. <laughs> but, like, it's also so exciting because of how young he is. I mean, he's 24 years old, so... And he signed with Red Bull through, like, 27 or 28. So yeah. he has a lot of time to add more stuff to his resume. So, I mean, could he hypothetically have a career like Lewis and Michael where he wins a ton of WDCs? Sure. Could he never win another one? Like, also very possibly, which is kind of what makes this so exciting, especially when you see the level of talent that he has. Like, if yeah. you give him a good car, he's going to win races. And right now, I'd say, like, I'd say, oh, God. I think the Red Bull is probably the best car on it the is. grid right now. It I, is. I don't think it's like, I think them and Ferrari are close, but I used to say Ferrari was better. But after this race, I, I truly think the Red Bull might just yeah, be better. Yeah. I mean, Ferrari, like their main issue was the porpoising, but they were just so fast in the corners that like no it one didn't cared. Matter. It didn't care. It didn't matter. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously, and obviously we were also saying that in the context of Red Bull having reliability issues. If Red Bull have really figured out this, you know, reliability thing, Justin, I think that Red Bull are now the car to beat. I mean, obviously, they're leading in the Constructor Championship. Their driver is now taking the lead of, you know, the, the um, what's it called? The Drivers' Championship, sorry. And, you know, it's just like, like, what more can you ask from Red Bull, right? Or, or Max or Checo, right? Like, they're doing everything correctly. And, you know, obviously, like, it was just bad luck today, I think, for the Ferraris, right? Like, Charles has power unit kind of crapping out on him and carlos you know kind of losing places at the start right like how much can you really do if you're a ferrari in that position right i mean like what are you going to do tell charles to drive or tell <laughs> carlos to put his foot on the gas harder or like tell charles like make sure your power unit isn't breaking no right like i think going into the next few races we'll see how this kind of shapes up and you know it's still a close fight and i think that's what makes it interesting but you know i i think bright future for Max Verstappen, but we already know that. <laughs> yeah, obviously, and I think that's probably a good place to take us into our weekend podium. Yep. Um, honorable mention we gave to Fernando Alonso going from P20 to P9. Obviously, it'd be pretty easy to just, like, put him on the top of our podium because, like, we could easily do that with any of our drivers of the day, but we wanted to try to focus a little bit more on, like, specific moments from the race, mm -hmm. like, with context. So we're, we're just giving Fernando Alonso the honorable mention. And then P3 was the Verstappen overtake on Baltas at turn 13. I mean, I don't think anyone was expecting him Absolutely to go around him there. A lot of us were just like, okay, Verstappen is right behind Baltas. He's going to go to the main straight, and then he'll just overtake him. But for some reason, he's like, all right, I'm sticking my car around the outside, and it's going to work. And then it did, like, flawlessly. It was so impressive. And everyone we were watching with was just dumbfounded by it because it was, it was insane. I mean... Yeah, I mean, my, my thing is, like, why... One okay fine that you've overtaken there but also too like this was at turn 13 like you just get through the chicane where you were definitely going to get drs and then like it's not like he was sitting behind botas for like three or four laps waiting to overtake like he was definitely going to overtake botas on that main straight like three turns later he's just got that dog in him yeah <laughs> he does have that dog in him but you know it was a cool moment i mean it was definitely very reminiscent of you know the vettel overtake on latifi at um what's it called miami, in miami yeah around that kind of like Bendy yeah. section so you know great work for him um i think you know p2 is the george russell versus max verstappen battle i mean i think that lasted what three or four laps four it was laps? it was pretty crazy especially with the fact that max didn't have drs so it kind of yeah. evened up the cars a bit because then max was only gaining time like through the slipstream on the straight rather than mm -hmm. just like blowing past george russell but i forget which lap it was but it, like i said they were just kind of like um i don't know like switching each other back like over and over again and George eventually did come out in front of that but like what great racing from George I feel yep. like 
a lot of times last year, whenever there was wheel-to-wheel racing in the front by two drivers, uh, we would see them touch very often. And <laughs> obviously, it was always a he said, she said type ordeal where one of them would say it's the other, and then the other one would say it's them. So it's kind of nice to have a lot of really close racing in the front this season where you don't constantly have to worry about the cars being like absolutely obliterated by each other. And like I, I think that was probably one of my favorite battles in the front so far this season, even though it only happened through like four turns it was very very cool to see yeah and i think the last you know part or i guess our topper for the weekend podium is lewis hamilton points after you know his first lap contact with kevin magnuson and you know the puncture he suffered i think great drive from him obviously he had to push very strongly and he did a great job i mean you know it's a shame that the mercedes issue caused him to end up in p5 instead of p4 i mean a Red Bull 1-2 and then a Mercedes 3-4. Like, if you had told me that last year, I'd probably have been like, okay, but this year, a Mercedes 3-4 would have been a very, very positive result. Not to say that 3-5 isn't. Um, just a shame that, you know, he couldn't get everything he probably deserved out of that, um, you know, that whole drive today. You know, going into the one-on-one update, Justin, I think this weekend was probably our worst weekend for predictions. Probably. Um, I mean, we did have some pretty difficult questions. Yeah. Uh, so, so when it yeah. came to pole sitter, we both predicted Max. We were both wrong. Charles got pole. Um, Justin, you predicted a Max race win. I predicted a Charles race win. Um, but so I get 10 points 10 there. 10 points there, yes. Um, and then what are our other questions? Um, so there precisely was... Precisely P11, we were both wrong. You picked... Um, I picked Alex Albon, Albon and, and you I picked... picked Pierre Gasly. Pierre Gasly was P13, Alex Albon was P18, but again, no points for that. And then our average finish position, because we calculated this using the F1 kind of system where Charles Leclerc was the first one to finish, or first one to like DNF, so we give him P20, and then you average that with Carlos Sainz's P5, uh, you get what 12 and a half, which is the biggest swing that we had considering they were um, what 1.5 and they were 2.5 because they were one and four and I think Red Bull were two and three or is like the they other were way around. It was the other way around something like that. Um, but basically the point is, you know, or they were two and three in Miami and Red Bull were one, four, one and four. four yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, that is the biggest swing. So we didn't get any points for that. But on that, Justin gains 10 points. I gained zero for the weekend. So we are tied going into Monaco. Um, we'll see how the Monaco predictions go, how they treat us. Hopefully a bounce back for us, uh, considering we're on some poor form. You know, hopefully <laughs> our pick up the pace, you know, Mick Schumacher hopefully has a good quality and then get some points as a result in Monaco. It would be a great place for him to get points. Um, but Justin, unless you have anything else you want to bring up, um, I think we're ready to wrap it up. Yeah, I think so. So thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed the 2022 Pirelli Spanish Grand Prix and our review episode of it. I thought it was a pretty fun race, at least in comparison to, like, what we could have gotten out of the weekend. So I'm very happy to see that. And obviously, it really helps that, like, my favorite team ended up doing a one-two. So it's always nice to see that. But without further ado, please rate us five stars on whatever listening platform you're on. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at F1OnOnePod. And we will see you guys on Thursday for the Monaco Formation Lab episode. Peace. Have a good one, guys.